0: The following is a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. Tonight we come to the end of Acts chapter 4. You can find that on page 912 in the Pew Bibles. And the scene is in Jerusalem after the ascension of Jesus in the earliest days of the church. And these verses give us one of several summaries that we find in the book of Acts about what things were like in Jerusalem and in the church in those early days. And so let's pick up our reading with Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and we'll read all the way down to chapter 5, verse 11. But before we read, let's pray and ask God to help us and to give us insight into his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you have revealed to us to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and to train us in righteousness that we may be fully equipped for every good work. We pray that you would do that in our hearts tonight, that your spirit would teach us, would open our eyes, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to receive what you have for us in your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You know the usual go-to verses, like... God loves a cheerful giver. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Those are the usual stewardship verses. But if we're looking for a stewardship passage for uh, Stewardship Sunday this week, why not Ananias and Sapphira? Sure, it may be. A little unorthodox, but it would certainly get everyone's attention. And on top of that, there's actually a lot we can learn about stewardship from these verses. There's giving that comes from every member. There's giving that comes from the heart, that's sacrificial, that goes towards the needs of those in the church, and it, and it advances the cause of the gospel. It, it's got everything you would want for a stewardship message. And on top of that, it has that imminent threat of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira lurking in the background. You better not have half-hearted participation. Well, there's that, but also I'm not quite so sure that any of us want to be held to the standard of the early church that we find in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5. We, we all fall short of the example of the early church. And how many of us would not confess that there exist patterns of hypocrisy similar to that of Ananias and Sapphira in our own lives, maybe even worse? Are we at risk of suddenly dropping dead like Ananias and Sapphira? I hope not. But we we can't dismiss what happens in this passage. We, We can't dismiss the fact that God holds all of our hands in his lives. And we need a fear of the Lord. We need a fear of the Lord in order to protect the fellowship of of this community, to to advance the the cause of the gospel in, in our neighborhoods, in Jackson and around the world. And so let's notice two things from this passage tonight. Two things about the church in Jerusalem. One it was a dangerous intimacy. And then secondly, it was an intimate danger. A dangerous intimacy and an intimate danger. First, a dangerous intimacy. Now you all know the the famous line from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When when the children first hear about Aslan, the lion, and they ask, one of them asks, is he quite safe. And Mr. Beaver answers, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Well, something similar could be said about the early church in the opening pages of the book of Acts these early Christians who were gathering together in Jerusalem, there were all sorts of good things that were happening. There was the message of the forgiveness of sins. There was the preaching of salvation. There were miracles of healing. There was caring for the poor. They were breaking bread together. They had glad hearts and generous hearts. All sorts of good things. It was with great power and great grace that the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus went out from this early community. But it wasn't safe. Of course it wasn't safe. And if you look back at verse 31, the verse that, we, that, that came just before the verse where we started this evening, verse 31 of Acts chapter 4 says, And when they had prayed, the, pra- the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What was going on there? There was there was a a trembling, a shaking of the very structure in which the early church gathered. It was like Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter six. You remember where the angels called out, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts," and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying to Isaiah who said, woe is me, I am undone. And it would have been terrifying on this day in Jerusalem as well when the people prayed and the Holy Spirit came and the apostles preached with great power and great boldness and the building shook with terror. You see, the unity the unity of the believers in the book of Acts is no safe unity. No, it's a dangerous intimacy there was a cost to them. there was a cost to their coming together as one in Christ Jesus. There was the cost in them giving up their differences, putting aside their personal preferences to come to, to, come, to come together as the full number. There was a cost in them continuing to give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ when you remember what had happened not that long ago, they had been Warned and instructed and threatened not to teach at all in the name of Jesus, and yet they continued to do so. There was a cost. There was a cost in them giving up the proceeds that came from selling their land and sharing with each one as any of them had need. There was a cost in sacrificing whatever privilege, whatever status they enjoyed in Jerusalem in those days. They gave it up and they submitted to the authority of the apostles. And maybe they didn't recognize it. Maybe they couldn't grasp the full extent of it at the time, but there was going to come, in a very real and a very significant way, there was going to come persecution to them because of their gathering together. They were going to be rejected by their own people for the sake of the message of Jesus and the unity that they enjoyed here in the early days in Jerusalem. Their being together in one heart and one soul, it came at a cost. It came at an expense of preference and property and privilege. And it came with the risk of persecution to them. There are multiple dangers to them in this remarkable unity. Just take Barnabas, for example. Barnabas was, uh, verse 36 tells us, he was a Levite. He was a native of the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now on the surface, what is that saying to us? On the surface, that just seems like an example that's being provided to us of someone who participated in the costly sharing that was displayed in the early church, And, and it is that, but actually it's a lot more than that, because Barnabas is a bridge. In many ways, Barnabas is a link between the two parts of the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, we have chapters 1 through 12. Chapters 1 through 12 focus on the ministry and the leadership of the Apostle Peter. But then there's a a transition and it shifts in chapters 13 to 28. And the focus from 13 to 28 are more about the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys and his journey to the city of Rome. And Barnabas, it's Barnabas that has a significant role in the continuity of the book of Acts. He was there from the very beginning, and he was there for the spread of the gospel out from Jerusalem. Now, I've been reading a, a book recently on uh, the uh, the NBA in the 1980s, and it's about the great teams of those years, the Lakers and the Celtics and the Pistons and the Bulls. It's about Magic and Bird and Jordan and Isaiah—it's one of those things that uh, I can kind of revel in the nostalgia and, and get some of the sports chills that come from that. Uh, and, and as you read this book, the writer says that that there was a, a, a link in that time period that was Kareem. Kareem was the link. He was—he was an old man at the time when all those other players were in their prime and Kareem was the link between different eras in the NBA because he was there with Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson and Jerry West and then he was still there with with Michael Jordan and then there was with Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal if you take the the logos the Jerry West logo to the Michael Jordan logo there's a skyhook in between them it was Kareem well that's what barnabas was he was a link he was a bridge between these two eras in the book of Acts. He's the hinge between Jerusalem and the ends of the earth. He was there when, when he heard Peter's preaching. He was there when the believers had everything in common and they shared with everyone as they had need, he was the one who took who took Saul or Paul and brought him to the apostles to tell them about how this one who had been persecuting the church was now the one who was preaching Jesus with great power and boldness. And he was the he was there with Paul as they were sent out from Antioch to go to Pamphylia and Pisidia and, and Iconium and Lystra to go on that first missionary journey. It was Barnabas who had an indispensable role in the, in the bond of the early believers and in the spread of the word out from Jerusalem. How did he have such an important role? Well, he was the son of encouragement, after all, as verse 36 says. He's this link between Peter and Paul, but he's more than that, actually. You know, there's, there's sometimes you come across maybe a subtle comment, maybe it's a headline that doesn't seem that significant, but years later, it, it turns out to be much more significant than it first seemed. Or sometimes you come across these verses in the Bible that are, that are really groundbreaking, epoch changing Places like the book of Philemon. And Paul writes to Philemon about his runaway slave, Onesimus, and he says, Philemon, receive him back as a brother. And that's saying a lot more than it seems on the surface. And that is undermining the very institution of slavery just in that little phrase. Philemon, receive Onesimus back, not as a servant, but as a brother. Well, there's a verse here in this passage that is similar to that. And it's subtle, and yet it's very subversive. It's verse 36, where it says that Barnabas, a Levite, sold a field, took the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. There's a lot of questions that I have about that passage, about that verse. There's a lot more that I want to know, but the subtle, subversive message is this. A Levite submitting to the authority of the apostles. You see, the the Levites were the tribe of the priests. The Levites were set apart from the tribe among the tribes of Israel. The Levites were the ones who had responsibility and authority in the the worship of God's people in the Old Testament. The Lord was their inheritance. And here, this Levite is giving way to the apostles. Here, this Levite, Barnabas, is submitting himself to the way of Jesus. And so Barnabas, he is spanning not just the shift from Peter to Paul, but he is spanning This shift from the Old Testament to the New. And the place of the temple and the high priests and the sacrifices are giving way to the way of Jesus. This is a shifting of the tectonic plates, redemptively speaking. And Barnabas is at the heart of it. Barnabas gave up property and he gave up prestige, he gave up privilege, and he put himself at risk all for the sake of the community of believers, all for the sake of the message about Jesus Christ. And so for Barnabas, this was a dangerous intimacy. There was nothing safe for him anymore when it came to protecting and promoting this unity and caring for one another in the early church. It's great power. There's great grace among them, and we see it displayed in the person of Barnabas. But that wasn't the case for Ananias and Sapphira. And there are certainly ways that we could say that in their own way this was a dangerous intimacy for them as well, but what we could also say about Ananias and Sapphira is they are an example and a lesson of an intimate danger. I was reading somewhere recently that there's a theory among some who say that that people may have a more accurate view of reality when they are insane rather than sane. And the theory is that if you looked at it in reality, there are so many things that could go wrong out there on a day-to-day basis that it, it could be enough if you really thought about it fully and really contemplate all the things that could go wrong on a given day, it might drive you to stay in your home and never leave, to drive you insane, if you, if you have that uh, realistic view of, of reality. There are so many dangers out there. Well, you could, you could make that same error and mistake in the early church in Acts as well that there are so many dangers out there to the church, from the chief priests and the religious authorities, from Herod and Pilate and the government officials, all the way down to the, the level of the culture and the pagan Roman culture. All those things are dangers out there. They're threats to the unity and the harmony and the spread of the church and to the mission of Jesus Christ. But these verses are a sober reminder that there is a threat Within, that there is a danger right there in their midst. You see, the scary thing about Ananias and Sapphira is that they were a part of the group. And not just in name only, they participated in the ministry of the church. They gave their money and they contributed to the needs of the poor, and yet they both ended up dead anyway something obviously was very wrong. What was it? What was it that was so wrong with what Ananias and Sapphira had done? Well, I think first of all we have to say that what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is not normative. This, this is not the normal pattern going forward in the life of the church. This is part of the extraordinary events that accompany the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in those days following the ascension of Jesus. And similar to all of the miraculous healings and the speaking in tongues and the mass conversions that we see at the first of the book of Acts, these are revelatory signs, and God is doing something new. He's trying to teach his believers something important, and that's true with what happened with Ananias and Sapphira as well. That with all of the displays of great power and all the displays of great grace, there was joy and there was gladness and there was generosity and there was goodwill. But there was also a need for fear. There was also a need for reverence and respect and awe. There was a need for a trembling before God. J.I. Packer has written about revival in a book on the Puritans, and he says that in a revival is a time of awakening. It's a time of spiritual, renewed spiritual life among God's people. And with that comes life and a certain degree of, of, of new energy and also some new problems. And he says that oftentimes the saints can fall into unmeasured or extravagant ways of of talking or acting, and that the unconverted can get caught up in it as well. And they want to be a part of it, and yet they become deluded and self-confident, cranky and fanatical, quarrelsome and disruptive. And Packer says that Satan, who was trained in the best divinity school in the universe, tries to keep step with God, actively perverting and caricaturing all that the Creator Is doing. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, they found themselves a part of this new, living, young, flourishing community. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to appear like they were all in for God as well, but they did not want to pay the price to do so. And so they lied. They lied to the apostles. They lied by selling their possessions and bringing only a portion of the proceeds to the apostles' feet. Now, it wasn't the amount that mattered. You notice what what Peter says to Ananias in verse 4. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? It wasn't about the amount. The problem was that they were trying to appear to be more generous than they really were. And and really the problem was bigger than them even lying to the apostles. The problem was that they were attempting to lie to God. In verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Verse 4, you have not lied to man but to God. And because of that, when Ananias heard those words, he fell down and breathed his last. And the same thing happened with Sapphira. It says Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed to, together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have car- buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. In verse 10, immediately she fell down and breathed her last. You see, when Ananias and Sapphira sold their property, they didn't do it because it was in their heart to do so. No, they, they planned ahead of time how they could take advantage of this time of great power and great grace and to use that for their own advantage. And when they laid the proceeds at the feet of the apostles, what were they doing? They were dedicating these things to God. And when it says that they were, uh, that they were uh, devoting them to God, they were actually, in a way, stealing from God by lying and saying that they had They were committing the whole thing to him and keeping that back apart for themselves. They were saying one thing and they were doing another. They were attempting not just to deceive man, but to deceive God, and that does not work. That is impossible. And in fact, that is a fearful thing to try. At its most basic level, this this episode is a warning about the danger of hypocrisy. It's a warning about the danger that exists right there within the community of the believers. It's a, a danger that's in their midst and not coming from out there in the big bad world. came from right there within. Ananias and Sapphira are an intimate danger. Trouble is coming from what seems like the closest allies to the mission of Jesus because they are members of the church. And that's us. And while we don't live in the same context of selling and sharing of our possessions and pooling them as they did in the early church, although we should also share our possessions to those who have need. And while we may not expect to fall down dead as Ananias and Sapphira did, Although we have to remember that our lives, all of our lives, are in God's hands. And he can remove us whenever he sees fit. But even if that doesn't happen, we have to recognize the impact of our actions. And we have to watch out for those things that threaten the integrity and the vitality of Christ's church. And that could take a lot of different forms. I could look a lot of different ways, but I would imagine that we would want to be careful in a time of social media and being online. I would imagine that we would want to be careful about what we share online and what we post on social media when it comes to spiritual matters and when it comes to involvement in the church because certainly we want to take advantage to spread truth and grace and whatever means that God gives to us, but isn't there also a danger of doing things to make ourselves look better, to make ourselves look in a way that we really are not. And then there's also the matter of there's a school here. One of our ministries is a school. And others in this congregation have leadership roles in other schools in our community, in in a place that is very much the Bible Belt. And it would be a scary thing to let the message about Jesus become a recruiting strategy or to become merely a part of promotional material. We better guard our hearts and watch our motivations. And what about our serving? What about our giving? What about any area of ministry that we are involved in? Do, do we look for the things that are going to bring the most recognition? Do we get upset when what we do goes unrecognized? Do we want to get our own way, and do we get upset when they don't go our way? I wonder if sometimes we pay attention to personality and success and reputation and status more than a simple and sincere faith in Jesus. There's a danger. It's a danger right here in our midst, in our own hearts, of living before the eyes of man instead of living before the eyes of God. There's a danger in living out of the fear of man rather than living for the fear of God. It is a near and an ever-present danger to the to the health and the vitality of the church of Christ. There's great power There's great grace among these early group of disciples in the book of Acts. But it was a dangerous thing. And Barnabas was an example of one who sacrificially gave up his possessions. He he gave up his status before other people. He paid the price, all for the sake of the ongoing testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, There was Ananias and Sapphira, and they were an example of an internal danger. They were not what they seemed, and they sought to take advantage of the power and grace to be used for their own reputation, and they paid the consequence for it, and it cost them their lives. And what do we find? Verse 11 says, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. There's great power and there's great grace. And it's with great fear. Now here, here's the rest of the story. There's more to add to this story. And we'll close with this. I mentioned a few weeks ago, we were talking about Peter and his boldness and about something that happened in Antioch that Paul addresses in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul rebuked Peter. Peter. He rebuked Peter for separating himself. He had been eating with the Gentiles. But when certain Jews came from Jerusalem, he separated himself because of fear. He he had a fear, and he separated himself among ethnic lines, among outward appearances. He did it out of a fear of man. And then Paul writes this in that same that same passage, Galatians 2.13 says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Don't think that the threat of hypocrisy is not an ongoing danger. It is so much closer than you realize. And even if Peter and Barnabas did not die for their hypocrisy, someone else did. Someone else died for their hypocrisy. And the consequence of their sin, the penalty for their sin that they deserved, was paid by Jesus on the cross. Paid in full. That's great grace and with great power jesus overcame the grave and he defeated sin and death by his resurrection you know our sin deserves the same thing our hypocrisy deserves the same thing we stand exposed to god's wrath and anger but jesus paid it all and all to him we owe and the cross, the cross of Jesus shows us the severity that our sin deserves, but it also shows the greatness of God's love and mercy to hopeless sinners. So, the good news about Jesus, about what Jesus has done for us in taking our place, it should make us rejoice, it should make us share, it should make us bold. But do you know what else it should make us do? it should make us fear. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. May it also be so for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you with this passage before us, and we pray that you would protect us from these ways of hypocrisy. We We pray that you would forgive us for the ways of hypocrisy in our own hearts. We thank you for the grace of Jesus that was sufficient, that is sufficient, to cover all of our sin and to make us able to stand before you free, forgiven, righteous, accepted, loved, adopted for all eternity. So we pray all of these things in Christ's name to magnify him, and ask that you would help us to live for him in all that we do. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.